Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Some interesting things going on this week. I said I'd report back on the Black Friday results. Remember, we were predicting that the outturn could have been lower because of the weather last week, particularly in America, with heavy rains in different parts and different places. Well, we've got the numbers now for Black Friday, both in the US and the UK. And guess what? Higher than expected. I think in the US it's uh, 5.8% up on last year. It was predicted, of course, to be 8% up, but 5.8% up is still an increase and a good one. And in the UK, it's around 6% up. Well, there was deep discounts on everything, ranging from fashion items through to electronic goods over the Thanksgiving weekend. People opened their purses and captured some bargains. The National Retail Federation said a record 196.7 million shoppers made purchases in stores and online during the five-day holiday period from Thanksgiving Day through to Cyber Monday, and this exceeded expectations of 166.3 million and is up more than 9% from last year. Consumers were holding out for better deals over the weekend, and large retailers such as Target and Coles kicked off a frenzy as early as October. Of course, inflationary pressures persist, so if you did grab a bargain over the weekend, you've probably done quite well. About 122.7 million people in the US shopped in bricks and mortar stores, which is a 17% increase on last year. Online shopping grew at a slower pace this year. People probably glad to get out and be able to go to stores, I think. Consumers spent on average $325 on holiday-related purchases over the course of the weekend, and that's about 8% up on the year earlier. Toys, apparel, video games, and electronics were the popular choices, and there were some deeper discounts than might have been expected. For retailers, of course, this is a big opportunity to get rid of inventory. If they've got too much inventory, it's time to discount, and that's what many have done. Toys and electronics, popular choices with Christmas on the horizon, and when the National Retail Federation was asked on Tuesday, they said that sales were probably up by 11%, and not the 8 they'd originally said. This hasn't been adjusted for inflation, of course, any of these figures. Cyber Monday sales rose to $11.3 billion from a year earlier, making it the biggest US online shopping day in history. PlayStation 5, smart TVs, Apple AirPods, Pokemon cards, all in the bestseller lists. So it's turned out to be even bigger than expected, according to President Matthew Shea of the National Retail Federation in the US. These five days make up about 10% of overall sales in the period. And of course, they're not a great indicator of what the underlying economy is like. But nevertheless, better than expected sounds good. Cyber Monday has increased over the years. It was about $4 million back in 2014. In 2018, it was about $8 billion. And it's now $11 billion in this year. And the numbers of shoppers shopping online has actually gone up too. Back in 2017, about 175 million people shopped online, as against 193 million who turned out this weekend. 
Well, there have been a lot more protests in China this week. I reported some protests last week that were affecting Amazon. But this week, two major cities, Guangzhou and Chongjing, announced an easing of COVID restrictions on Wednesday. This was a day after demonstrations in Guangzhou, where protesters clashed with police, and there's increasing unrest with the world's toughest coronavirus restrictions. Of course, the only way to get out of this is to vaccinate people and reduce the risk of COVID rather than locking people up. So I'm guessing if things move in that direction, that will be the start of a reintegration of China into the world economy. Sweden fashion firm H&M is laying off about 1,500 workers. This is because of a downturn in sales, which has affected profits. They've also got problems in rising costs in the supply chain, which is also making the situation problematic. The cuts will come to back office staff, and it's due to inflation and soaring costs, according to the company. H&M is the world's second largest fashion retail group. They employ about 155,000 people, and they laid out plans back in September to save about 2 billion Swedish kroner per year. Costs, of course, are rising because of energy costs due to the war in Ukraine, and keeping these very large stores heated and lighted is expensive. Meanwhile, of course, Inditex reported quarterly sales growth back in September, so that booked the trend a little bit. And Primark has announced it plans to add about 1,800 jobs in Spain and Britain as it grows its business. While shoppers are out searching for bargains in these fashion stores in the Christmas season, it's unlikely to get better afterwards. H&M said its savings wouldn't kick in until the second half of the year. It's clear that pressure on consumers who are having to switch expenditure away from clothing to energy, gas, fuel, and of course food, because there's 12% inflation on food in the UK at the moment, and elsewhere in Europe and in the United States, that's expensive. The Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, SMMT, in the United Kingdom, has said that the auto industry is facing multiple threats as it moves away from fossil fuels to electric vehicles. And they mention economic instability, trade protectionism, regulatory change, cost of living crisis, a skills shortage and soaring energy costs, which are already 80% higher than the EU average. The car industry is also suffering from post-Brexit-related challenges. Under rules of origin agreed with the European Union starting in 2024, a rising proportion of the car must be made locally. So Britain is under severe pressure to build its own EV battery supply chain. And the government probably isn't doing enough to support that shift. UK government's efforts to foster the EV battery industry have led to just one factory, which is British Volt. And that startup has struggled to gain traction with investors. And it was under some risk just a few weeks ago, as I reported on the Chain Reaction podcast. But it managed to overcome that one. But it needs a lot more support. If this industry is to succeed and those rules are to be met with the new EU requirements, 
and if we are to maintain employment in the United Kingdom, then there's a lot more to do. So quite a big challenge for the UK government. Sticking with the car industry, BYD, the Chinese electric vehicle maker, said this week it will launch its cars in Mexico next year. And the sales target for those cars in 2024 is 30,000 vehicles. So we're seeing BYD move into the export market with its SUV, the fully electric Tang Sports Utility Vehicle. And they've also got a, a hand sedan, which sells through eight dealers across Mexico. It's the world's largest EV maker by sales, and he hopes to sell 10,000 vehicles in all in Mexico in 2023. 20,000 and 30,000 in 2024. And its aim is to have 10% of the world market share for these cars. They claim it to be an affordable brand, so they're expecting to sell big numbers in various places, starting with Mexico. So where will be next? The United States has for some time been a leader in microchip design. And it has some of the best companies, NVIDIA, Intel and Qualcomm. But it's at risk. There might be a downturn in market share without government support for the sector. So says a report released on Wednesday. The US share of chip design has been slipping in recent years, dropping from 46% in 2021 from over 50% in 2015. And the claims of the report say that without government support, this could drop to as much as 36% by the end of the decade. It's the Semiconductor Industry Association report and the Boston Consulting Group who've prepared the US report on this topic. The United States has already lost the lead in chip manufacturing, which has prompted the Biden administration to pass the Chips and Science Act. The New York Times reported a story about Renew Cells Factory, which turns old clothes into new high-quality clothes, which are made entirely with recycled fabric. It's an attempt to address the mountains of textile waste that accumulate worldwide. Another benefit of this, apparently, is that it will reduce the number of trees that are used to provide fabrics for fashion, so the ecologically sensitive forests will not be needed as much as they used presently. Renew Cell Factory accepts cotton textile waste, and many clothes are made from synthetic blends. It may be able to take in a lot of cotton, more than 120,000 metric tonnes a year. Around 163,000 metric tonnes of low-value cotton waste are ripe for chemical recycling. The factory gets its clothes from six countries, and it sources globally from denim factories and second-hand retailers. Factory produces sheets of dried dissolving pulp, which is called circulus, and it sells the main ingredient for man-made cellulose fabrics like viscose, rayon and modal. Renew Cell claims it's creating circularity within the fashion industry. Well, there's some of that needed. Now, here's a story that caught my eye this week, and it's about those shrinking chocolate bars. And there's some research that's been done whether chocolate bars have actually gotten smaller over the years, or whether it's just in your imagination. Well, here's the result. A Snickers bar in 2014 was 232 grams. In 2018, it was 167. Toblerone went from 200 grams to 150 grams. 
Twix from 200 to 160, Yorkie bars from 160 to 132, Kit Kats from 48 to 40 grams, and there are some others as well. So Snickers, the worst offender, 28% reduction in size. I've got to admit, I do like those bars with the chocolate and the nuts. But I mean, it sounds a rip-off, doesn't it, when they've just lowered the size of these bars. And Toblerone, down 25%. Don't think I've bought Toblerone for years now, not since the latest company took it over. It's not quite the same. Anyway, there we are. So if you wondered what's happening to your chocolate bars, they're all going smaller. It's a con. Another story that crossed my desk this week was about empty containers which are piling up at ports in Guangzhou, Yantian and Sheku. Some say they're already piling up on roads, while others say 90% of the box spaces are occupied. Trailer drivers used to take these containers to the terminals and they'd pick up empty containers. But now the dwell times are just a lot higher and there's longer pickup times and more empty containers. Well, no wonder there are shortages. But actually, freight prices and container prices have been falling in recent weeks. There's been some movement in the House of Representatives where they've passed legislation to enforce the rail agreement by 290 to 137. If this is also adopted by the Senate, it should avert the strike. The spot rate for containers has fallen for the fourth consecutive week by more than 10% weekly decline. In the past four weeks alone, the rates dropped by 47%. It's the first time since August 2020 that the rate has been below 2,000 US dollars and is level just 20, just 20% above the same week in 2019. That's before the pandemic. It's down 80% compared to the peak when you couldn't get a container for love. Well, not quite love, no money. You could get it for money, but you were paying a lot of money. The Shanghai to New York benchmark dropped 9%, slightly lower. But the figures I've quoted are for movements between Shanghai to Rotterdam. I read some news that heavy-duty electric trucks can be serviced at San Pedro Bay port terminals and they can be charged up for free at the port of Long Beach, which has announced it's opened the first two public charging stations in the nation for the vehicles. The stations are a step on the road to the port's milestone of achieving zero emissions. So take advantage, get charged up, get those electric trucks charged. They want zero emissions by 2030 and for trucking by 2035. There was an interesting piece I came across from Matt Mace, which was published on LinkedIn, about palm oil firms failing to address deforestation across the supply chain. More than half of the world's largest palm oil companies are failing to assess their supply chains to ensure the sustainability and zero deforestation targets are in place and being met. The research was carried out by ZSL, and it was published this week. Just 39% of companies are reporting and demonstrating at the meeting targets. Food inflation in the United Kingdom has hit 12.4%. Brexit accounts for about 3% of food inflation each year. So over two years, it's 6%. And it's worth about £6 billion that's been added to the cost of getting food from Europe into the UK. So another benefit of Brexit. As you will know, you'll always hear me talk about friction in supply chains and what a problem it is. But when you self-inflict those problems, well, it is a bit galling, isn't it? 
as a result of friction on extra checks that are involved in food transfers from Europe to the United Kingdom. Prior to the Brexit vote in 2016, 77% of all food imported into the United Kingdom came via the European Union. And this is now costing much more. So if you want to know where food inflation is coming from, it's coming from Brexit and it's coming from higher energy costs, fuel increases, which are all driving the prices upwards. News out of San Francisco suggests that uh, Tesla are about to unveil a long-delayed semi-A 18-wheel heavy-duty vehicle. The scepticism across the industry from experts who say that the battery on electric trucks will not be able to take the strain of hauling hefty loads for hundreds of miles. Nevertheless, Tesla's gone ahead and launched this truck, and the launch marks the carmaker's first foray into the trucking business, just as Joe Biden's administration is about to offer a generous $40,000 tax credit for clean commercial vehicles. I wonder what's driving this one then. The unveiling event took place at Tesla's battery factory in Nevada. Analysts will look to see what the prices look like and whether the semi can actually carry heavy weights and of course how long it takes to charge because that'll be an important consideration too. Elon Musk had originally said that the trucks would be in production by 2019 but uh, due to the battery constraints that's been delayed. Tesla said they'll be able to travel about 500 miles per charge, and they'll be priced at around $180,000. But uh, I don't know whether that's going to... That was the original statement by Elon Musk. Things might have changed since then. News from Berlin suggests that Volkswagen's software unit, Carriad, has agreed to buy automobile supplier Paragon's artificial intelligence specialist subsidiary. Both parties agreed to a purchase price of 40 million euros, that's about 42 million US dollars, for Paragon Semvox. Paragon Semvox has supplied Volkswagen Group with AI-based solutions for voice control and human-machine interaction for many years. Transaction is expected to be completed by the spring of 2023 subject to various conditions and contractual arrangements, and also the reservation of antitrust approvals and all the legal stuff. UK retailer Next is to buy collapsed rival Jules, according to media reports. Before Jules went into administration, Next were in talks with the company to take a £15 million equity investment in the company. No financial details are available on the latest deal. Jules sells clothing, footwear and accessories, and it collapsed after its finances, profitability and cash generation was under pressure. And the cost of living crisis has hit them hard. It's cash flow that always gets businesses in this situation, and fashion is notoriously fickle. It was previously suggested that TFG, South African retailer that owns a number of British brands, such as Hobbs, Whistles, Damsel and Phase 8 was also in the race to buy jewels. Well, that's it for this week's news roundup. I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you've learned something from listening. And you may be interested in stopping by and picking some of the recent episodes up. There's a great episode with Mario Paganini where I'm in conversation with him talking about the peak season demand and lots of other things. And there's a forthcoming episode on leadership and there's another one that's likely to pop up in a week or two on learn and change which is about what you need to do to manage change in the supply chain 
So look forward to seeing you in those. But for now, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast was written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. Now we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.